But I think that it's more empowering to speak in terms of leadership at the individual level, to the nurse, to whatever level of care provider there is. Let them know that, in fact, they are leaders. They are leading the care. They are leading decisions and choices right there in the moment. If things go well, raise that issue. Let us know. Let everyone know so that can be celebrated. What does it take to be a visionary 21st century healthcare leader who can visualize both what's right and what needs fixing? Let's talk all about it with nurse, executive coach, and change agent, Ronnie Kinsey, right here on episode 407 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there. This is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system in the bigger picture. And I'm here to share education, diatribes, ideas, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, leadership, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And guess what? You can now get CEUs from listening to podcasts. That's right. Over at rnegade.pro. That's rn. E-G-A-D-E-R-Renegade.pro. They're building a library of nursing podcasts offering continuing education credits. So you can just head over to rrenegade.pro, log in, select me or any other content creator from the dropdown and get CEs for listening to podcasts. I think that is so awesome and I invite you to do so. You can head over to nursekeith.com to find the show notes for this episode. And of course, the show notes will be in any podcasting app where you happen to be listening. As I said just a moment ago, we are here with Ronnie Kinsey, executive coach and nurse. And Ronnie, it is so good to have you here. And I love this notion that you shared with me in our previous conversation before we did this recording. And you said that um, you can't just come with a problem. You also have to come with a potential meaningful solution. Correct. So what does that mean in the, yeah, what does that mean in the context of healthcare? Yeah, great question. And by the way, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm excited about our conversation. Uh, and thank you for this question. It's so important. And I really would like to get this word out because there's no shortage of opportunity. When when we speak of opportunity, that means there's a chance for improvement, right? To get something we want that we didn't have or something we missed, right? There's no shortage of hearing where the straw comes up short. And we get that, you know, if we talk about healthcare, it's a very complex environment and involves so many different types of disciplines so many different types of education and training and it's just highly regulated and there's so many pressures on the system right now so where i'm coming from with my comment is yes please bring us what is not working what your pain points are but please because if you're in the pain if you are the one who feels that you are disrupted by the issue whatever the issue is for you Could you please propose one to three viable solutions that you truly believe would take your pain to a lower level or eliminate the disruption that you're working with? And why I say that is because very often decision makers and leaders are farther separated from where the pain actually happens personally. They may hear about it. Uh, It may take a while to hear about it unless it's something drastic. And of course, you know, there's always uh, escalation. I'm not to say that anyone is unreachable or untouchable. I wouldn't want to say that at all. But I really want to say on the day today, as so many healthcare providers, the frontline, the RN, et cetera, care providers come up with many things that frustrate them, that get in the way of their workflow. And one of the big issues these days is uh, you hear nurses, care providers, physicians, uh, the whole realm of them saying They feel that they're not allowed to do good care for their patients because of all the extraneous variables that they have to deal with to keep the system running. And granted, it is complex. 
I, I'm in the system, I know. And I've been very fortunate along the way to have had leadership who wanted to hear the issues and took a look at what solutions could be. However, the solutions seem to not catch up with the volume of pain points these days. We're deep in a big resignation. Uh, just today, there's a strike in New York State with nurses. Um, there, there are many issues that we need to hear. Unfortunately, often, sustainable solutions do not happen overnight. So sustainable solutions are really what I'm interested in. Change for change's sake is not a winning game. So I could talk long and in depth about this. It's a, a passion point for me. Uh, what did you hear from that? Well, it's interesting that, yes, we're, we're really good at complaining. We're really good at bringing problems, well, talking about them anyway. We don't necessarily always bring them to the people who need to hear them. And Correct. Yeah, I mean, strikes sometimes are necessary. We've had them here in Santa Fe. They're having them in New York State. They happen everywhere. And there's this there's this zeitgeist of, you know, hopping on social media to talk about what's wrong. And that can be helpful because it can foment to a point conversation, right? It can get conversation going. And there's great people, you know, on LinkedIn and elsewhere who have very robust conversations about what's wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have learned a great deal there. Yeah. And I appreciate those people. And many of them have been on this show. However, we also see people not really stepping forward as leaders. And I know that you have this, this um, concept that is, seems very important to you as a leader yourself and as an executive coach, and you call yourself a change agent. And I, I hear that. And it's about wanting to take leadership to the individual level. So absolutely, does that have to do with is it taking responsibility? Is it being an entrepreneur? You know, what are the kind of, what's the core of that, that concept? Absolutely. Thank you for bringing this up and you're hitting on it. And by the way, I'll preface by saying words matter, right? If the, if, if the wrong words fall on the right ears, you do not get the solutions that you might hope for. So mm -hmm. my word choice is take leadership to the individual level. It is really all about accountability and responsibility is built in. You can't really avoid that. But I think that it's more empowering to speak in terms of leadership at the individual level, to the nurse, to whatever level of care provider there is. Let them know that, in fact, they are leaders. They are leading the care. They're leading decisions and choices right there in the moment. If things go well, raise that issue. Let us know. Let everyone know so that can be celebrated. If there is a bottleneck, if there's a, a, a pressure point, if there is a pain point that keeps repeating itself, if it's a systemic issue, please raise the issue. Please do it appropriately. Sometimes it will need a repeat because there's no shortage of priorities in healthcare. So sometimes your issue might not be a priority in the moment, but still be very important. But priorities will always set in. So there may be a need for repetition and do it with the right people. And to your point, I appreciate that you brought that up. Yes, it's great to hear sometimes what people are feeling. But it's so helpful if you can you can get that heard by the right people who really can look at it from an angle of potentially addressing a meaningful solution. And that is what I really mm -hmm. want people to understand is, first of all, it is important to voice your issues and concerns. Don't, don't keep everything inside. But be aware where you're voicing your issues. It's okay to, you know, have your friends involved, whatever your, your first line leadership involved. But really, if you want the solution, you need to know who is capable of making real change for that solution. 
and really direct your energies there. And if you don't know, try and find that out ASAP. You know, who is it that could make a change? And I ask all the time, even even in, in just regular life, if say I have a customer service issue with whatever, a travel uh, you know engagement or something, uh, an arrangement I've made, if there's a breakdown, I ask, who could make an improvement about this? Who could I engage with? Who could really make impact on this? Who could really like take this and look at it from a potential solutions point of view? Mm-hmm. So that's it. Taking it down to the individual and letting them all know you are leaders. It's a point of respect and it's also empowerment. And we need to hear. Yeah, that's right. And here's a question when, about moments where we feel disempowered or we feel powerless. So let's say I'm a nurse in, I don't know, anywhere, Minnesota, anywhere. And I see, I don't just think or feel like I know from firsthand experience and my colleagues know that the nurse patient ratios in my hospital or on my unit are dangerous. And I can see that I really can't perform my duties and provide care the way I was trained to. And Ronnie, you're a nurse too. You've worked on the front line. Correct. So you feel like it's a dangerous situation, right? And you do you bring it to corporate? Do you speak with your elected officials about a legislative agenda? When you have those moments where the solution is enormous because the problem is really enormous and systemic, where do you as an individual take it? That is a very great question. And I will be very transparent. I I have struggled with this very scenario that you were explaining. I have been there. Yes, I worked Mm -hmm. ICU in a couple of different capacities. Uh, And I'm one of those. I've worked in several institutions because I was always in search of what's right with healthcare. So I wanted to see it from the angle of a few different organizations. So I made it my business, my personal career trajectory to work in several places to get the experience and comparison how different people do it to really understand, you know, is is it just like uh, the one company approach or is it across the board? So mm-hmm. the answer is tricky and it really depend it really depends on your probably your patient acuity that day as to how much time you may have. But safety trumps everything. And, you know, it goes back to sort of how how you get your nursing license. On the NCLEX, you focus on safety. If you're unsure of the answer, always err towards the safety answer, right? And Mm -hmm. that's usually a better bet. Mm -hmm. Because do no harm, of course, is always top of mind while doing well, right? Doing well, good work and doing it well. You have to let your first line of, of leadership know. And very often they're taxed. You're not the only person bringing them. You have to let them know. I've been in this situation. I've let them know. I've had to ask for resource in the past and not on just one occasion. I've been pretty fortunate to be able to get it. I have never been at the front line in the current scenario where this ratio is what it is in these current times. Mm -hmm. I know it's challenging at the front line and we see what's coming from that. So again, you have to raise your issue to the right people and you just keep going. You, you know, you try not to offend anyone, but it's a pain point. It's a safety issue. And in the end, I think the more people know and the more people are aware the more chances we have of really getting effective solutions. In the end, politics has to be involved somehow. They just have to. In the end, we're talking about financial commitments, right? If you're mm-hmm. adding headcount, what comes with that? Not only you know the, the pay, but the benefits, et cetera. There is a lot to be considered in that way. It's, it's not so simple. There's not a green button. There's not an easy button. It's complex. It varies per the institution, on the unit, and even by the staffing on the shift. Mm-hmm. And even state legislation, Absolutely. et cetera. Absolutely. So yeah, and it's so, it's so complicated. And 
you know, there are issues that I've talked about on this show and offline with gosh, so many people that are easier to to attack or to to confront, let's say, as an individual, right? So there's a bully on your unit. You can gird yourself against bullying. You can bully-proof yourself. You can document what that bully does and says. You can then bring that documentation with witnesses to your leadership. And you can eventually, you know, best case scenario, get that person removed, get them fired, or at least demoted or something. So that's where you can take individual action. It's the more systemic issues where it gets stickier, like you and I are talking about, like dangerous nurse-patient ratios. And I often quote this very old Michelle Shock song. And the, the line from the song is, the secret to a long life is knowing when it's time to go. I and know this song. I, I know that you line. You know the song. Yeah. And like a client wrote me yesterday over the weekend, and she told me that a hundred jobs are being cut from the facility where she works. She doesn't think her job is at risk, but it could be. And she said they're also slashing benefits in a huge way for everybody. And, you know, one of my stock responses to a situation like that is if you think your job is in danger or you think that staffing ratios are going to put your license at risk, you might need to vote with your feet. So sometimes you do just have to abandon ship, don't you? That is very true. And I know exactly mm -hmm. what you're talking about. I I have made choices in my life to move on. Yeah. I will say that I feel that I am very fortunate that I had the fluidity to do so. I know that a lot of people do not feel that they have the power to just uproot and change. For instance, if you're in a rural setting, if you if you are, say, the breadwinner in your, your, your home, your relationship, et cetera, and your job is the only game in town, then what are the options? So again, mm -hmm. not living day to day was always my strategy. Like I always took the long view, right? So like, okay, if this does not work out, I have reserve, right? And I can make a plan. I try not to make quick decisions, but there are times when you just know that there's not going to be a solution in a reasonable amount of time for you. And safety is always concerned. And if I feel, if I were to work in a place that I felt, never mind not doing good work, not doing, not giving good care, but in fact, giving really poor care or not adequate care, I would struggle. I would struggle with working in that situation. Um, that is not my current role. So that's not something that I'm dealing with currently, but it is huge for so many people. And this is part of why we're having this conversation. You know, first of all, you know, how do we lift up the people who are committed to staying and doing the work and who are struggling and to offer some solutions for them to get solutions, right? Maybe not everyone is aware how to assemble, to get the appropriate attention, et cetera. And unfortunately, these are the days and these are the times where you just can't do it alone. You, you know, it, I mean, not to use the word movement, but it really is mm -hmm. about creating a movement to raise awareness, to raise awareness often and propose solutions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the solutions are harder to come by than other times. Sometimes they're right in front of our That's noses. Possible. And all we need to do is, is say, hey, what if we tried this? Or what if we tried exactly. that? And one thing I've learned over the years from various, very smart people with whom I've worked and who've been mentors and people who I've looked up to is that when you're talking to someone, especially someone who's kind of higher up the ladder than you, it needs to come from a place of what you mentioned actually a few minutes ago, which is you have to speak their language because like you said, word choice matters. So if you're going to somebody who's, you know, very 
fiscally oriented. They're a CFO and they think in terms of numbers. You don't want to come to them with a right brain issue, a feeling issue, because it's they're not necessarily going to connect with that. But if you come to them with something concrete that can be counted, that's um, that we can quantify, then you can get somewhere with that person because you're speaking their language and vice versa. If it's somebody who's very, you know, kind of feeling oriented, you know, they're very right-brained, then you don't want to come to them with data. You want to come to them from the other side of the brain. Don't you think? That is a great way to put that. And I love that. And and we can also choose our question, right? Mm -hmm. And our word choice, like, you know, to, to the uh, CFO, Ask mm-hmm. a financially oriented question. What would it cost if we got sued over this? Oh. What would it cost? You know, five nurses are talking about leaving tonight. What would it cost to get short-term replacements? You know, what would it talk? What would it cost to recruit and train? And when could we have them online to replace them? If that mm-hmm. were the case, ask those type questions. Get that conversation going. What would it cost if we do not fix this? What would it cost if we do not solve this? Mm-hmm. And hear it like from that. them. Yes, because that is their vocabulary. They're thinking like, get get them to think for you. Mm-hmm. You're, you can just be the conduit of the question. What would it cost not to solve it? I like that. What would it cost to, yeah, what would it cost the organization, like the community? Mm-hmm. Rather than coming and saying, hey, this is a problem, da, 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 you say, well, Let's talk about what the cost is. And you put the question to them. I really like that. Exactly. And exactly. When, and when we come and I could back go on the, feeling questions all day if you want to, if oh, you want yeah, to I, wear that. I, could, I yeah. could too. Um, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about your history, kind of where what brought you to the place where you are now. And I want to talk about what you do as an executive coach. You know, what does that mean? And I'd also like to address, you know. What's it like to have that combination of an MBA and an RN? You know, how does that how does that all fit together? So when we come back, we're going to address that and many other issues. So hang in there with us, and we'll be back for the second half of episode 407 of the Nurse Keith Show with Ronnie Kinsey. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod, Ronnie Kinsey, executive coach, nurse, change agent, and a whole lot more. And Ronnie, before the break, we were talking about change. We were talking about how do you bring a question, a salient question to a person who might actually have the power to maybe bring about some needed positive change. Yes. So I wanted to ask you, you you started out your professional life as a nurse, right? Correct. Yeah. And you said you worked in ICU. Yeah. Yes. Right away. What part of the country were you were you living in as a when you were working as a nurse? Several. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I started in the southeast. I gravitated Mm -hmm. to the northeast. Uh, I've worked in some very large academic and um, well-recognized institutions. I lived in Manhattan for well over Mm -hmm. a decade, um, working with celebrity caregivers and Mm -hmm. celebrity patients Mm -hmm. and the whole shebang that goes with that. Mm -hmm. And I did, I worked in the west i worked in the southwest and um everywhere end to end okay. almost i okay. haven't worked in, i haven't worked in florida my spanish was not that great uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't go there it was a requirement when i first thought of it that i needed to I be fluent in spanish yeah that's one thing i did but have from coast to coast yeah i hear that and up and down and so you've been around you've been around the block and, and at I a certain have. point at a certain point, you chose to get an MBA from Northwestern, and you also went to the Wharton School. And what was the what was the um, what would be the right word? What was the thing, the kernel of your desire to? 
get an MBA? What were you hoping to accomplish with that on top of the experience of a registered nurse? Because that's an interesting combination. Great question. So I really set out in the perioperative world after initially uh, doing my ICU work. Um, I thought that I wanted to be a nurse anesthetist. That's what sort of like uh, pulled me into the conversation early on. And um, part of it is you, you, you need to work in ICU first. You need to get experience. It's not like you just keep checking boxes and you get your degree. You actually need to understand what's happening clinically. And so I then was attracted to working in the OR. I wanted that experience. It's a different role working in the OR altogether. Um, once the anesthesia goes on, you're really, you know, while you are giving care, you're certainly giving care. It's a different team interaction. And while working in the OR, I got more aware of the financials of healthcare than ever before, than ever before. And I had a chance to work in the pharmaceutical industry with my license. And that was such an amazing opportunity. And I felt like I was only half in the conversation sometimes because while I was working around some very well-educated PhDs and what have you, I was also working around a number of MBAs. And that was also at a different point in my life. And so I sort of felt like I was only half in the conversation. So I sort of felt like at that point for my trajectory that it was my duty to understand more about how healthcare gets done beyond the caregiving. So that really was the start of the conversation. How hmm. can I understand how to make greater impact while understanding the business of healthcare? There's so much more to it. I got into it from the feeling side altogether, the care and the giving and the feeling side, and then got quickly oriented to how important the financial side was. Mm -hmm. If the lights don't go on, you might not get to go to work. And once you pulled back the curtain on the other side, the non-feeling side, um, was it sort of like what they say about politics and sausage making that you don't want to see how it's done? I don't see that as an option as a view because mm -hmm. I'm going to make the example like the two things you can't avoid, right? Um, tax is one and you know the other, <laughs> right? The two things that just are going to happen, right? So, so taxation is coming. So mm -hmm. um, my father was a businessman and my mother was a nurse. And so what a combination. Oh, right? how interesting. Okay. How interesting. Um and so from seeing how my father got things done, like he could, this is maybe, a, you know, off topic, but he could go to the grocery store and fill a cart. And without a calculator, he knew what the bill would be when the cash, when the cash rate, uh, um, uh, attendant would say what the bill was. So yeah, mm -hmm. I was right on. He understood math and he just, just thought that way. And it served him immensely on the business side. and. I say it's necessary. I don't say it's something, do I not want to see it? It's almost like, you know, you have your car, you know what it takes to operate your car. Your car does not operate itself. You have to do certain things for it. And unfortunately, those things don't always come for free, right? So mm -hmm. I actually like driving and I've driven across country a few times and it costs something to do that. Uh, I'm not wanting to get off topic, but really trying to make a point is that you just understand there's going to be maintenance along the way. There are going to be improvements that have to be made. Oh, and look, I got another car. Oh, and look, I upgraded and things change. So back to healthcare. You know, if you need to add services to provide better care, to increase your services, to improve patient satisfaction, community satisfaction to serve a need which doesn't exist things don't get done by hope alone hope is great mm -hmm. hope is necessary yeah your, your thoughts are very important and your feelings and certainly your beliefs you need to believe that you can do things there have to be some numbers that go along with it as well in this life as i know it now this mm -hmm. is several states later 
and several institutions. And whatever state I was in, financials were always part of it. Hmm. Always. So, so what is your your trajectory been like? So from nurse to MBA, now you're you call yourself an executive coach and a change agent. What do you under the guise of RonnieKinsey.net? You know, what is it that you actually do and who do you find yourself drawn to working with and who wants to work with you? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. I just get really excited about mm-hmm. people who are interested in making meaningful things happen. I am so excited about that. Mm. And again, I'll, it goes back to why did I go go and get my MBA? Because I wanted to make a greater impact. And I felt like my impact was beyond the individual at the time, right? So I felt like I could reach more decision makers, more people who might be interested in, in the impact side as well. So I'm interested in working with people who know pretty much an idea that they'd love to execute. They might need some support around that. They might be trying to make connections around that. They've got a bright idea. And then many people have imposter syndrome. They're like, oh, but I can't do it. I just, it's not me. You know, it's just an idea I had, never mind. But guess what? So many things began as ideas. And there's so many amazing people that have the fortitude to bring about meaningful solutions if they have the right support around them. And I love being that. One comment I get very often is um, I got it the other day, and it's a comment I hear very often that my energy is infectious. Hmm. I get comments on my energy because I get really excited when I see potential in someone, when I see someone who might really, really want to go the distance to make an improvement or to make a difference. And the fact that I could potentially be that, that platform to help them bring that out for themselves to see a way to create that change, to drive that, to bring that forth to society would be ultimately fulfilling. So that's exciting. Yes, yes. That's exciting. Yes, absolutely. And because I have always been drawn to really robust um, living areas. Um, I mean, I mentioned I was in Manhattan. I'm now in the San Francisco Bay Area. I live near Stanford University. I'm in Silicon Valley. Um, mm-hmm. There is no shortage of great ideas here. There is no shortage of really educated people and motivated people. And then you hear sometimes that, oh, well, that didn't work. And we saw that didn't work. And we didn't see that work either. And I listen to that. I've been in that dialogue before myself. But also some people stay at it and they stay the course and eventually come up with meaningful solutions. Mm. So it took me a while to accept not being right the first time and not being 100% successful the first time to then take another lens and see a situation from a different angle to hopefully either me be the one to get the information and drive something forward or align the right people, introduce the right people, get the Mm -hmm. right people talking and thinking about this issue that needs attention. Yeah, Climate change is a huge passion for me right now. mm -hmm. I think climate is help. Climate is help. Uh, Here in the Bay Area, we've suffered some tragically horrific uh, forest fires over the last decade. And I felt unwell. So many times when I couldn't see fire, fires were not in my region per se, but the toxins travel in the air, right? So I'm very engaged in conversations right now about how climate is health. That's how I talk about climate. When I talk about climate solutions with people, climate is health. If you don't have clean air, clean water, you're not going to last very long with those other issues that bother you. Mm -hmm. So I try to bring priority to things. Yeah. And speaking of solutions, there are nurses who band together, like the Association of Nurses for Healthy Environments. You know, there's people who are Beautiful. speaking Beautiful. speaking out and putting together presentations and information to help you know that. wake people up. Now, do you work do you work with 
individual leaders? Do you work with organizations? You know, what what's the level at which you engage? What what's your sweet spot? I do both. I'm open mm-hmm. to really working. Well, there, there needs to be a connection, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. There are many times, you know, um, I'll have a consult with someone and I don't feel that the synergy's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, either they, they're not, I, I don't feel like they're open to maybe ideas from me or from even being asked questions. Some people don't like to be asked questions, by the way. They don't like to be questioned. And sometimes I just don't feel that it would be a synergistic relationship. So I say the individual and the organization. I'm very open to that. I've I've worked in several organizations that were very dynamic and there's a place to work inside. Uh, But in the end, it starts with the individual. You have an individual contact first, usually, who either raises the point, I'm thinking about this, I'd like to introduce you to, or let's bring you in, let's have a conversation with. And it really goes from there. Um, individually is where it starts. Mm-hmm. I am yeah. open to more where mm-hmm. I feel that I can make a meaningful impact. Mm-hmm. And I think bringing a pedigree of having worked in nursing on, you know, direct bedside patient care, and then what else you bring to the table as an MBA that can make people listen because they see, oh, I hope he, so. He understands this side of it, and he understands that side of it. So, yeah, one would hope I that hope so. That could make the connection. Now, I have a question for you about nursing education because you've you've had a nursing education and you've also had a business education. And I'm a lifelong learner, so I'm always getting education. I'm yeah. studying marketing with Seth Godin right now. That's great. Now, do do you think that we could do a better job in nursing school, helping nursing students to understand what actually happens behind the curtain? Absolutely. And I think it's almost an injustice to let them out without telling them. And I will Mm -hmm. take it back. You know, um, I thought I had an excellent education. I got my BSN right away because, as I said, initially, I had my initial sight on going to graduate school. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that that was just the path that I I walked. Um, Now, those were times computer courses were not so common Mm -hmm. in those days. Imagine, right? I think it's an injustice not to prepare nurses for the real deal. Now, some might say, you know, and I've heard this comment, like, well, you don't want to discourage them. And I'm like, what? You don't want to, you don't want to get them through the process. Them spend, you know, a chunk of time and, 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 and a life decision to get out and then be disappointed. I think you need to like be very upfront. This is required. You need to know this. I remember, you know, I I went to a large university and I remember being in anatomy and physiology classes with uh, pre-med and what have you. And I remember um, the question came up in an anatomy class. It's huge. It's a big pulpit, you know, big like auditorium type class. A couple of hundred people are in there, you know, and with this amazing professor. And the question was asked, will that be on the exam? (laughs) And I love. I love the response. The professor said, you just need to know everything. Mm-hmm. What will be on the exam? I don't really have a comment. She said that you need to know everything. So I'm going to take that back to your question. If only we could get by knowing a little, that's one way to exist. But there's so much that we need to know. And financials and technology, I think, should be early early mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in nursing training and healthcare training, because technology is what's going to, I think, relieve some of the burden along the way. It seems burdensome now because those who are not used to it are having to learn it and having to get used to it. And if the systems are imperfect now, and I've heard they often are, I would say to that, let's hear your alternative solution, please. Let's mm-hmm. hear it. What is the one or three great steps that could be beneficial if things worked in the way you're thinking? Let's hear that. So I think innovation, I, I think that early, early classes should require innovation, technology, and finance. It's important. And how many times have you heard, um, that's not why I got into nursing. That's not why I got mm-hmm. into healthcare. I, I want to mm-hmm. do the care. And that's important. 
That's important. And you also do expect a paycheck, right? So, I mean, it really circles back, doesn't it? It's kind of easy to have the conversation if you choose the right terminology and the right question. That's great. And that's why we hired you. That's why we invested in you, right? Because you want to do this great work and give this great care. And we rely on you to give us great, meaningful feedback on how things are going. Mm But I think it's a disservice if we don't prepare the nurses early. Yes. And I think one of the challenges there, and we're not going to solve this issue in this conversation, but it, we, raise, we raise the issue to get people to think about it. One of the issues is that if it's not, a, well, <laughs> let me go back to what you said. That student said to the professor, will this be on the exam? One of the problems with nursing education from my point of view is that so much time has to be spent teaching to the NCLEX. And if this particular topic isn't going to be on the NCLEX, then precious little time, if any time, is going to be spent on it. So if the NCLEX doesn't address business, economics, financial issues of healthcare, which I don't believe it truly does, then there's really no incentive for professors to talk about that well, or, to go. Go, well, or a school to have go. a class about it because they need to spend their time and money and resources educating the students to pass the NCLEX. So there's this kind of like this vicious cycle of things not being addressed. Look at that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And who mm-hmm. could blame anyone for focusing wisely? right? What matters? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's part of my principle. I say it all the time. Let's focus on what matters and what Mm -hmm. we can make a difference on in the short term, and then we can look at the longer term. So I think you're you're onto something really valuable there. Until the spotlight is on the importance, Mm -hmm. I think that the finance and potentially the innovation could get sidestepped. Or longer. And, you know, and, and, and I'm going to, you know, go, go ahead and say that not everybody wants to have a PhD, and that is fine. Not everybody sets out to get a master's degree, and that is fine. And still, there's a lot that we need to know commonly amongst each other. Because now we've got four to five generations working in the workforce. Look mm-hmm. at the difference of technology, skills, acumen, and interest. I'm going to add that one, interest absolutely in, in technology. And still we have to work. We need to work together, right? So there needs to be a bridge to make that a priority somehow. I love how you bring it up. It's not emphasized to get the license. So why would anyone focus on it? And it's important because you cannot practice without a license. So it's important to get your license and to keep it. I would emphasize that, to keep it. That's a good right? idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To yes. keep it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's complex, isn't it? We keep coming back to that. It's a complex system. Mm-hmm. We need great thinkers to come up with a way to incentivize the learning somehow, to make it worth everyone's interest to want to know how to solve things, just to get the mindset of solving things. Yes, we're giving good care and we're solving issues as they come, or even better, before they appear. You can spot Mm -hmm. what could happen, not being hypervigilant. That doesn't pay us either. If we're always thinking about, oh, there could be, you know, thunder across the river. Well, whatever. Yes. Mm -hmm. What matters Mm -hmm. now over here where we are now, right? Focus on that. But there needs to be incentive. And that is that is just a great, great thought process to put out there. How to incentivize solutions. Mm-hmm. Which is seems to be what you're all about. And I'm so excited about I solutions. Wish, I wish we could talk more, but we need to um, wind down. And I have four quick questions I ask all my guests. Are you game for a little lightning round? Let's go for it. Okay. So first question is, how do you define success personally and or professionally? I think it's important to know what your values are, to know what matters to you, 
in your personal life and for your career. And for me, happiness is part of that. And I don't mean every day is a celebration. By the way, I actually kind of do see it as a celebration, but I don't mean it in terms of like an event, a party or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to feel self-worth and to feel self-accomplishment. And I think it's important to know exactly what matters and excites someone so that they can focus on that. I've been able to do work that excites me and that is hugely important to me. I like that. That's great. Okay. Second question is, could you name or just describe if you don't want to name them, one person who's inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living or dead, famous or completely unknown to any of us except you. There are many, by the way. I mean, there really are. Um, I'm going to refrain from repeating. Someone asked me a similar question uh, not so long ago, and I gave an answer. But Helen Keller comes to mind. Helen Keller, as a toddler, toddler being up to two years old, right? Nurses understand uh, the, the, the naming of age, age ranks, right? So toddler, listen to yourself. She lost her, her hearing and vision and yet went on to be a very successful author without the internet. You know, she got successful with the Braille system and became a motivational figure, icon, speaker, if you will. And she's from basically a nondescript place. You know, a lot of people wouldn't know where to find it on the map, perhaps. And yet she persevered. And she, I think, well over a dozen books she published. And against all odds, Hmm. she didn't accept defeat. And there's a quote. I'll see if I can Mm -hmm. come up with it. Mm -hmm. What's something to the effect, don't quote me, but it goes something like this. What's worse than being blind is having eyes, sight, but no vision. Wow. I haven't heard tell of Helen Keller in a long time. That makes me want to find a YouTube documentary about her and watch it. So thanks for bringing her up. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So here's the penultimate question. Is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be an absolute favorite. That's had a major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life. Again, there are many, but mm-hmm. I'm going to give you one uh, that is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Hmm. Tell me why. Written by many people know the author as Harper Lee. Mm-hmm. I actually knew her, and her name is Nell Harper Lee. Hmm. But that was kind of a local thing for people who knew her as Nell Harper Lee. Um, she's hugely successful. And by the way, didn't write. A truckload of books. But so the lesson there is it's not always in the amount. Quality has something to do with it. And if you happen to want to go with the word popularity, well, oh yes, we we can use that one. Hugely successful, and it never affected really how she carried herself. She had financial resources, but that's not what you saw when you saw her. You know, have you heard the phrase, you can shine without dazzling? Hmm. She was able to do that. She could shine without dazzling. She didn't have a lot of veneer going on, Hmm. but she was hugely successful. Have you read the book? Are you familiar with the book? I think I read it in high school, but it's it's um, fascinating that you knew her. That's really wonderful. Oh yes. and you've oh, now yeah. given me Helen Keller. Yeah, you've now given me Helen Keller, and you've given me To Kill a Mockingbird and and Nellie Harper. So, um, or Nell Harper. Not, not Nellie. Nell. 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 I'm. That's going to go back on my list. Nell. Thank you. Okay. So now the last question, I actually changed. You're the first person to get this question because I the other one kind of ran its course. So this one is, if you were elected 
king of the world, what's one of the first things you'd want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? I would like to have a welcome event, welcoming everyone to my world. I would like to hear a comment, what's going well, and one wish of what they would like to see solved. And to our conversation point today, do they have an idea how to solve it? Wow, that is beautiful. (laughs) That is you all over, Ronnie Kinsey. Well, I really want to thank you for this opportunity and this conversation today. I really didn't know what we would talk about, and I just feel that the energy was fantastic to discuss these very important topics. Thanks, Ronnie. And I'm going to direct people to RonnieKinsey.net, and that link will be in the show notes, and there'll be a link to your LinkedIn profile so that people can find you and connect with you there. And thank you so much for being here. This was super fun. I agree. Thank you so much, Keith, and all the best in your future endeavors. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this inspiring episode with Ronnie Kinsey here on the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com and of course, on any app where you happen to be listening. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching, please consider nursekeith.com and Nurse Keith Coaching. Mention the show and get 10% off your coaching package. And remember, you can get CEUs for listening to podcasts at rnegade.pro, R-N-E-G-A-D-E.pro. Look for me or any other content creator to get your CEUs because you know what? You're listening anyway. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Steve Jobs. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. So be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and the inimitable Ronnie Kinsey saying arrivederci from I am in Menlo Park, California, San Francisco Bay Area. Bravo, Keith. Thank you, Ronnie. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.